best to preach the gospel regardless of what it cost him. And there was one thing that stood out in his life that I will never forget, and that's the deep burden that he has for the souls of men. I've appreciated his consecration and his godly life and example that has certainly stood as a, a real pattern for my own life and ministry. And we can say, not because he is a relative, but because we believe him to be a true servant of God, I count it a real deep privilege to have the opportunity to introduce the speaker tonight, Brother Carl Ballestero, who pastors the church at South Bend, Indiana, and we're asking you to sit in prayer as he ministers to us through the word, and before he does, we're asking he and his wife to sing a number at the piano for us. God bless them as they sing the gospel in song. Lord bless you. In the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And that name, please, is the name of Jesus. I want to give my uh, congratulations all you people that are staying here tonight listen to me. Appreciate that. And I want to thank, I want to thank the uh, executive board, those who have selected me for this honor and this evening. I sincerely, I deeply appreciate it, and I will do my best under God uh, to be a blessing to this convention tonight. That's why I'm here. I'm not here with any acts of my own to grind. I'm just a plain Pentecostal preacher. And I came here to preach. I don't know how to do anything else. Really, I don't know why they asked me to sing. I've never hired out as a singer. But uh, I have a license to preach. And if you'll just help me tonight, I will. Right. And uh, I borrowed a watch so that I'll know day from night. I'll do my best to be a blessing to you. We have come a long ways to be in this service tonight. I do not really feel uh, the strength in my body like I want to. I don't know what happened to me, but I've had chills and fever and sweat and everything else. It isn't that I, I so much uh, worried about this occasion. This is just another appointment. And my gift will work anywhere. It's worked on street corners. It'll work here. It'll work anywhere. Right? Not afraid of it. Don't know anybody here a dime. Praise the Lord. But I'm not here to speak for myself. And I'm not here to speak for you. I'm here to speak for God. I'm old enough to open this Bible and uh, we'll see if we can't get a little bit of a blessing out of it. I sincerely appreciate the fact that in these days we still can turn to the Word of God. I have been blessed since coming here, and uh, I want to go home. I want to go home satisfied. I'm uh, sorry that I couldn't attend some of the services yesterday, but I was sick. I'm not here trying to make an excuse in case I, as they say, drop my watermelon tonight. I'm not trying to make an excuse. But if you'll help me, I'll do my best under God. Praise the Lord. I'll preach if you'll help me. Praise the Lord. Everybody love Jesus. Amen. Yeah.
and uh, they have brought the vessels of uh, his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. Thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, uh, which see not nor hear nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, kekel, you parson. Would you bow your heads, please? Holy Father, humbly I come to you now. Nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. And I ask, oh God, one more time for you to bless me. I ask for the unction, the anointing, the power and inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Oh, let me speak for you tonight. Oh, Lord, take thy things, I pray, and let my tongue be as the pen of a ready writer. Quicken my mind, Lord, that I'm able, Lord, to draw from thy vast treasure house the things that will bless this, thy church. I pray, Lord, that... I pray that your unction and anointing might be upon the ears and the hearts of the people that sit yonder. Would you help them to receive this message and bless this, this uh, church gathering tonight? I ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I want you to take just a little journey back with me. We live in a restoration period today. I love America. I love this beautiful city. It was 22 and a half years ago in this fair city where my wife and I started out life together. We are back here now. And uh, I have come a long way since then. It wasn't very long after I left this town that I was out in the ministry full-time preaching. I have done what I could uh, to help the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I wanted in this thing very bad. I sought for two years for somebody to baptize me in Jesus' name. That speech, uh, Christian and crossing and matching the gates from east uh, to west and north to south, and those streets were 150 feet wide, even more modern than what we have here today. They tell me the city was divided into two parts. Uh, as the great river ran from the north to the south, it cut the city in two. Uh, and just to make both of the cities still join together, they had a massive bridge between it, uh, the, the two parts uh, on the inside of the walls. That uh, bridge was uh, 100 yards long, and it was 30 feet wide. Also, they had a tunnel to go underneath it all. And uh, they had a, a beautiful tower at one end of that bridge. They tell me that tower was a wonder in itself. They had three walls around it. Why, they had 200, uh, 350 towers on one of those uh, walls. It was seven and a half miles around. They had another one that was four and a half, and they had one, if you please, at three and a quarter. And they had those massive walls to fortify the palace. They had one room that was solid, burnished gold. They had another one that was made out of silver. They had another room yonder that was nothing but rubies. They had one more room there that was beautiful sapphire. And all the fine art of the jewelry was right. The jeweler was in there. They had uh, the, the finest of devices that men could make. You see, Nebuchadnezzar stripped the coffers of kings all over this world. And he emptied their treasuries into his storehouse. And he made everything that he wanted and he made it for himself. And just to satisfy the whim of a wife, uh, he erected yonder tower upon tower. And he put leaden uh, uh, things down and built huge uh, uh, mountains in there. He made the beautiful hanging 
green gardens of Babylon with all kinds of trees and all kinds of shrubs and flowers. And by means of machinery, he brought from yonder river Euphrates. He brought up the water to the top and he let the water splash and drip and fall. And it was truly a sight to behold, as the historians say indeed, it was one of the wonders of the world. Now Babylon was a place where Jews were held captive. Over yonder there was something else that made the Jews feel bad. You see, at the other end of the bridge, they had a pyramid-like. It was filled with eight little squares, one on top of another, each one going smaller and smaller. At the top, they had what they called an ark. It was supposed to be the habitation of God. And at the top of that place, why, uh, uh, they worshipped the one who was their, uh, their leader and their god. And uh, truly, he was a false one. Now, Babylon also, it's because of its means of irrigation, they had crops that never failed. Uh, historians also tell me that uh, the ground was so rich and so fertile, and uh, it brought forth uh, crops in such a productive manner, not just uh, 30% to 60 or 100 fold, no, sir, but two and sometimes 300 fold. It brought forth uh, uh, those crops, uh, and they say crop failure uh, was impossible because of the means of irrigation, and the gates on yonder city was so massive they had to be opened by means of machinery. It seemed that no enemy would dare come against Babylon. And the walls, as they towered in the air 350 feet, uh, there was a moat just right outside. And that moat was just as deep and just as wide as those walls were wide and tall. And to get to the gates and to get to yonder wall, you had to come over here and cross the moat. They had 250 massive towers on the wall. And no, they had battlements up there. No enemy would dare come against Babylon. No, sir. And the proud king had beat down all the nations surrounding. But, oh, yes, as he left the scene, suddenly he, he gives it to his son, and his son finally puts his grandson in place while he just goes around. But, you know, things that are easily gotten are not always prized. Things that are handed to us on silver platters are not always kept very long. And it seems as they uh, went on in their careless way, indifferent perhaps to the uh, things of the past. Uh, and remember the reading that I read to you from a verse of scripture, O Belshazzar, though thou knewest all this, thou hast not humbled thy heart. There is a danger, please, of forgetting yesterday. And I can better understand what tomorrow holds if I'll take a look at yesterday. I can get my reckoning a whole lot better of what journey to take on the morrow. And I can find out how I stand now if I look back to yesterday. You cannot, you dare not forget what's happened before. And remember, it's a strange thing, friends, but it happens over and over again. History has a habit of repeating itself. You dare not think that what cost others their, uh, their life and cost them their home and their cause all their kingdom. Do not be so foolish today that you think that you can uh, while away your hours doing nothing and go at, uh, at the work of God in a slipshod uh, haphazard away and still not suffer dire consequences. I point you please to Babylon. I point you to the city yonder where Jews were held captive. Babylon! Babylon, where a slave girl can be uh, sold for the price of a year's uh, uh, pay to 1,000 soldiers. Where Babylon was, where they ate and drank and made merry. I point you to Babylon. Oh, yes, uh, where the harps were hung upon the willow trees uh, as the Jews marched 1,000 miles uh, from their homeland to the place of captivity just because they owed God 70 years of Sabbath. Uh, oh, I'm asking you tonight to look back to Babylon and see what God thinks about it. It matters not what the 
papers say. It matters not uh, what the, uh, the thing of the hour is here. I'm interested uh, tonight. How do you and I line up uh, uh, with the history of Babylon? You say, why should I look at that? God had more to say about this city than he had any other city it looked like. And you and I that live in the closing days of time, you've got to study a little bit about some of these things that have gone on. Babylon, the birthplace of the Trinity. Babylon, where they held the Jews captive. And uh, they uh, have refused to eat the king's meat. Babylon, where they put them in the fiery furnace. Babylon, where they threw them into the den of lions. I'm talking about a city uh, where the people of God were crushed back and held on. And remember, the things that has happened before may yet happen again for us. But while they carried on in their way, you know, sin has a, it has a habit of not satisfying. I want to tell you tonight upon the authority of God's blessed, holy, and sanctified gospel, the only thing that will satisfy that, that earnest desire in your wretched heart is the Holy Ghost baptism. You cannot find any satisfaction anywhere else. The only thing I know that will bless a man's soul, the only thing I know that will help a fellow on the inside feel satisfied is when he can get under the spout where the glory comes out. You won't find it in the places of this old wicked world. You've got to get God and get food. But you find them going to the honky tonks and the dance halls tonight. They're drinking their booze and sucking their cigarettes, but they're not happy. Oh, no, they're not. Uh, they haven't got it. I sat next to I sat next to a man who is a keeper. I sat next to an officer in this town last night. And I was sick. And I I was trying to just get a little something liquid there. I just sweat so much. And he didn't know who I was. Of course, I don't look like a preacher, I guess. Just a little old common me. I don't go for all this dignified nonsense anyhow. I mean, we can get 50 in Sunday school and our nose is so high. Why, people don't know who we are. We haven't got anything but what God gave us. And I sat there, and he made eyes at the waitress and said, Come over here, honey, I want to give you a kiss. And uh, so on, and, and finally he talked to me a minute. And I, I entered into conversation, told him I was a minister from South Bend. And, oh, he just was so glad to have me in his fair city. He said, I'm a deacon over here at such and such a church. Well, I want to tell you, in our church, we don't care on that thing. Huh? All right. Oh, you might think that you can go to your churches. And you may think you can try a little bit of the world and still get along with God, but God's people don't do that. We have found something that satisfies. We have found something that meets the need, and that is the answer. But they, they stayed with sin. And sin finally doesn't please, uh, please the fellow. It begins to lead you deeper and deeper, and you add sin to sin. You can't step uh, one, uh, one step down the wrong road and quit. You've got to go on and on and on and on, and you're not satisfied. And then you are a careless, restless individual, and you want some help, but you don't know how to get it. And they'll run themselves ragged. They'll try one show and then another show. They'll try one race and then another race. They'll try one form of entertainment and then another form of entertainment. They'll try one ball game and then another ball game. They'll try them one woman and then they'll want another woman. But I want you to know there's nothing that'll satisfy a man when he's not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Listen to me. Listen to me. You with me? All right. We're getting along fine so far. 
Now listen to me. The time finally came in that city when they began to try a little bit more. You do not go just as far as you walk and stop. The devil will make sure of that. No one has ever walked down the road uh, to hell and quit halfway. This is, a, this is not an age of moderation, neighbor. You'll find that when you go the wicked path, you can't stop. But you'll find that you begin to snowball things as you go along. And you begin to build up momentum. And you can't stop when you want to. A man can't stop his wickedness. He can't stop his swearing. He can't stop his lusting. He can't stop his meanness. He may want to, but he can't do it because he's got the enemy leading him on. Oh, I... I thank God that one day the gospel stopped me dead in my tracks. I'm so glad the gospel knocked me flat on my face. I serve a God that can knock a soul down on the road to Damascus. I serve a God, brother, that'll stop you in your tracks. And this world needs to be stopped dead smack still. They need to be brought to a ground and sickened in halt by the gospel. We preach a gospel of deliverance. We preach a gospel that'll set men free. We don't preach some little old nothing gospel. No little old come to Jesus something. We preach the death burial and resurrection that'll make a, a soldier for God out of you. Somebody say, what church you belong to? Well, I'm Pentecost. Well, I'm Pentecost too. I, what kind? Well, I'm Trinity. I almost believe like you do. There's no almost. This is it. There's nothing else like this. Nothing else in this wide world like this. There's nothing else almost like it. Nothing else in this world like it. Oh, yes, sir. They went on their way, and as they uh, drank and as they carried on, they began to entertain one another greatly. They did not have parties to last a half an hour, one hour, or two. They did not just uh, uh, roll out the... The carpet and cut a rug, no sir, just until uh, the morning light. That was not the uh, that was not the trend of the time. When they had a feast, when they had a party, it rolled on and on. It went on hours and hours and days and nights. And here it goes. I do not know how long this great feast was going on. I do not know how long they had just carried on in all their ripe, bold, uh, wicked ways. I do not know. But in, the, in that old party, they began to think of what other things they can go to, how deep they could get in sin, what else they could add to it all. And suddenly, as they were doing all of that, uh, a little thought come upon the, the king's mind. He was the one that led them astray. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I think now we ought to uh, we ought to try something different. Do you realize we're trying a whole lot of things different in this world? This world's not getting any better. The world's not satisfied with things like it is. They don't want things that are natural. We're living in an unnatural world. We're living in the times when everything's gone some haywire, if you please. The natural things don't satisfy. I say natural things don't satisfy. Natural habits just don't satisfy. People are going to excesses. People are going crazy. I just found out as I was in Los Angeles, there was an article in the paper. There was an article in the paper. 36 million homosexuals in America. What does it mean? The normal things don't satisfy. You're living in that age, please. Right at my church, uh, trying to come and pick them up. Tear them on out of there. Hanging around our churchyards trying to pick up our little babies that are playing around there. That's the kind of an age you're living in. Oh, you say it don't happen. I know better than you do too. Now I begin to think, oh, dear Savior, 
Is it that people finally got tired of drinking out of the ordinary vessels and they want something different? We're living in an age that is going to excess and to extreme. It is off its balance. And as I begin to see the things going on now, it reminds me of what happened to Belshazzar. He said, bring me, please. I want something better. I want you to bring me the sacred, dedicated, consecrated vessels of God. These things were only used in tabernacle service, but I want them now. Oh, yes, Babylon over here, where they could drink out of golden goblets and maybe studded with diamonds for all I know. But now they're going to take the holy things of God and going to pour their dirty rock gut wine in there and oh yes and they drink until it burns their bellies they drink until their eyes are all inflamed they drink until their passions is aroused and they lay down with their wives and their concubines and history says it was a habit in those days for those wicked evil licentious people to pull off their clothes and act in every vile vulgar way imaginable and there they dance and pet and carouse around and don't you think brother that you're not living in a world that's not akin to that and the time is going to come if men and women don't get a hold of God it's going to be just like that on this earth oh yes oh yes they had all that going on but Babylon didn't know one thing oh the little old hourglass that was the time for Babylon even though the, the man that began it all the man that was given the dream about the times of the Gentiles and all of its dispensation. And he saw the coming kingdom when Christ, uh, his throne would be set up. Uh, the Babylon didn't know that their hour was nigh. They did not know that the sand was fast going out of their hourglass. Uh, they did not know, neighbor, that the executioner's sword was raised high. They did not know that the end was near. They did not know that uh, the cup of iniquity was full. Oh, yes, but God makes no mistake. Uh, and when the hour struck, he came down to do something about it. And as they laughed and as they danced and as they carried on, suddenly on yonder wall, you begin to see the writing of a man's hand. The fingers of a man's hand appeared upon the wall. And it began to draw strange hieroglyphics. It began to make strange letters. And all the golden goblets were dropped. Jaws began to sag. Eyes grew wide and wild with care. Faces turned ashen pale. The knees of the king began to smack together. His flesh began to crawl and his hair stood up on the back of his neck. He began to look at a hand from another world coming down to write his doom. Remember this, in our careless, lackadaisical age, God has not forgotten us. You remember this, when God's time comes up, it's coming up. You may think that we can get by, but my God does not let anybody by. What is required of one age will be required of another age. And upon that wall, the writing came, luminescent, clear, bright, glowing, scary. They began to shrink back and recoil in horror. And as they did, nobody wanted to eat another bite. They got the women and they thrust them away from them. Huh? Nobody wanted another drink. Nobody got his fiddle and fiddled anymore. You'll come to a quick halt one of these days. God's going to stop this world in its tracks one of these days. You'll change your smile one of these days. My God will get you down on your knees, bow down like a woman in travail one of these days. Finally, 
Nobody knew what to do. They called in all the soothsayers and astrologers, fortune tellers and wizards. They got them all in there and asked them to perform, but nobody was able to tell the meaning of yonder message on the wall. But there was a queen who was not there. Oh, be it to her favor. She said, I'll tell you what. She said, uh, there's one man that can do it. If you'll remember, he's the one that got your granddaddy out of a bad fix a couple times. If you'll go ahead, uh, there's a man that can do it. Nobody else can do it. Now the king couldn't read it. The queen couldn't read it. The thousand lords couldn't read it. All the wise men couldn't read it. Somebody's got to read that writing on the wall. Where is it? Who is it? How can it come? Who is the man? They said it is Daniel. Remember, please, standing in the shadows then and standing in the shadows now, God always has a Daniel. Daniel, whose name means God, uh, with me. Daniel, the man that refused to eat the king's meat. Praise the Lord, and he grew fat on carrots. Daniel, the one who had good prayer habits uh, and whose consistency in walk with God caused him to be thrown into a den of lions. Uh, oh, yes, but God locked their jaws and he, he couldn't be eaten up. That's the kind of a one I serve. Daniel, the one who could understand dreams. Daniel, who had an excellent spirit. Daniel, the man who had favor with God and with man. Where is that man, please? Where is the man that has a walk with God? Where is the man who practiced holiness in the secret chambers? Where is the man in his own little prayer room who will get down three times a day and still keep on keeping on? We have too many pulpiteers. We have too many people that are mighty fine in performance, but they're no good out yonder, brother. They can't live it in the home, and they just can't do it anywhere else. But we don't need pulpit talk, and we don't need fine airs. Well, where is God's Daniels today? Uh, and they brought Daniel out. And as you know, Daniel read the writing on the wall. He told them what it meant. Many, many, Tikal, you farce. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. Numbered, numbered. It's all numbered. It's over. It's finished. They tell me that when they were building the walls, uh, they had that place all dug out there. Sometimes the river Euphrates overflowed its banks. And so they dug yonder a great vast lake. It was 45, 40 miles in circumference and 35 uh, feet deep. And uh, they turned the water. They turned the water into that lake sometimes, a surplus water, so it wouldn't overflow in the city. They had all that done. But when Cyrus was coming closer and closer to the city, as the feast was going on and on and on and on, he turned the Euphrates River right into there. Some went into the Tigris. And now they had the river now uh, turned into that vast lake. And their men marched in the riverbed right into yonder city. And that very night they took the city when everybody thought they had peace and safety and prided themselves on all their armaments and fortifications, uh, judgment stalked their streets. Uh, and it was not until three hours after sunrise on the morrow that most of the city really knew what happened. Oh, when God's judgment comes down swift, hard, and furious, uh, this world's not going to know what happens. Uh, we're living in a time when mercy stalks the land. Uh, you have the angel of mercy to go with it step by step. Uh, but there will come a time when mercy will not be found. Uh, There'll come a time when you can't get a prayer through. There'll come a time when God will not be heard nor found by anybody. 
Now, friend, I want to turn the record over. <coughs> I want to turn it over. The writing that was on the wall is gone now. My Lord did very little writing. He wrote upon two tables of stone, and Moses wrote them. He wrote upon the walls of Babylon, but they have perished, and he wrote it with the ages. He wrote upon the ground, but the sands have been washed many centuries ago. But tonight I, as the finger of God, do write upon the walls of your heart. I come as a member of the five-fold ministry. I come to do the work of an evangelist and write a message upon the walls of your heart. I come to tell you what God has to say. We are not living in Babylon yonder. We live in the 20th century. We do not live back there on the plain of Shinar. We do not know too much about Babylonia. We do not know that place. We know San Antonio. We know Dallas. We know Houston. South Bend. We know New Orleans. New York, Los Angeles, Portland, Oregon. We know America. But God is writing just as clearly today as he did then. And as I have dipped my tongue in the invisible ink of Holy Ghost inspiration, I am writing a message on the wall of your heart. And I pray, God, you can read it clear. I pray, God, that you'll understand the message and get it straight. I am not here to brag about what I've done or you've done. But I feel like I have been an unprofitable servant most of my life. And I do not mind telling you that I feel like my candle is fast burning out. And what I do for God, I must do quickly. I do not have as much time to labor as I used to think I have. For I'm a numbered man. And this is a numbered organization. This is a numbered age. And the sand is running out. We think that we can just go along haphazardly and continue on. We have come through 40 years of blessed times. But you shan't see another 40 years. Y'all, you say, will Jesus wait that long? If he does, pity this old world. That's the kind of an age we're living in, folks. We're living in a time when people can read it. When holiness has become a thing to mock at and laugh about, the handwriting is on the wall. You listen to an old-fashioned holiness preacher tonight. My hair may be a little salt and pepper color, and my body's dragging because I have hit the field hard and fast. But my heart is still as stout for God as it was when I started out. I love this message. 
That's why I'm here. I didn't give up much to get in it. I was riding boxcars when God found me. I belonged to a rat pack in Los Angeles when God found me. I run with brass knuckle gangs. I was a bum and a scum when God found me. And I slipped on your church benches. I preached more sermons than there was days in a year. I have never had a real vacation. Never. I've been run out of churches and run out of town. But bless God, my love for holiness has never stopped. It was the first sermon I ever preached. And if Jesus will help me, it'll be the last I'll ever preach. When we sit in our churches, when we have little old bobbed-haired, red-lipped Jezebel, pug-nosed, impudent nothings, mocking at a preacher when he's preaching, brother, the handwriting's on the wall. I've taken some of your churches where deacon boards have run, Little old nasty kids in there with necks and pen around and wouldn't receive instruction. And somebody rise up when you tried to correct them. When we let that devilment go on, the handwriting's on the wall. I'm not interested in trying to have a thousand in Sunday school if I can't have a thousand clean ones. I want holiness in my church. You say, well, you can't have that kind of church. You can't? Come and see mine. Come and see mine. You say, they don't want it today. The world's dying for it. I said, they're dying for it. I'm sick and tired of your old ugly bee bonnet hairdos. I like to knock every one of them flat. I'm sick and tired of all of your bare legs and your short dresses and your long v-neck. I'm sick and tired of your shorts and your panel pushers. And some preachers let the girls get that way. I've gone to some of you preachers' houses and you let your kids dress in pedal pushers and, and little old bathing suits. Shame on you. You wouldn't take it from me 20 years ago. I'm still preaching it today. You said I was too young to preach it. Well, I'm older now. Holiness is not something to laugh about. And every time somebody begins to preach on the outside, I know what you do. You say, well, it's got to be on the inside. Oh, well, I know that well and good. But I'll tell you what, when Pentecost gets to the place where it don't care how a fella addresses on the outside, something's beginning to happen. I'm tired of you sticking your old ugly hands up and not having anything to cover up your arms. They said when I went up in the Midwest that you can't get them to wear long sleeves here, I make it a test of fellowship. They wear it in my church. Huh? They said, you can't get them to wear holes here. I make it a test of fellowship. Said, you can't get them to stop going mixed bathing. I'll do it. I'll throw them out. I'll make it a test of fellowship. Listen to me, please. Pentecost needs holiness. Why, it needs dressing. 
It needs dressing. I'm proud of you people when you walk the streets of a city like this with your long hair. I gave up one church where the pastor's wife never come there one time while I was a pastor for three and a half years and spent her time over yonder getting her hair all barbecued up by some old world of beauty parlor. Huh? But Holy Ghost people don't need permanence. Holy Ghost people don't need things like that. Your hair is your glory, and you ought to be proud of what God gave you. How dare you try to improve upon what God has given you? Somebody said, Preacher, I do not feel, I do not feel that that is all essential, but if we don't draw a line, neighbor, where in this wide world are we going to stop? I have watched this thing erode away and erode away until it hurts me. I have walked the floor like a cage lion. I have for years watched this thing just kind of slip and slip and slip and slip. Huh? Oh, I may not be good at it. I've been on the bench for long. I don't hardly know how to play a whole inning. But if you let me strike three times, I may knock it over the wall. Speaking of ball games, since we've been here already, some of our preachers have been watching. They've been watching the World Series on television. Don't say it's not so. When you begin to run after the things of this world, it's an evident fact that the handwriting is on the wall. When we have to have conventions and debate and debate and debate on whether sin is really sin, the handwriting is on the wall. You know it's the truth. You're scared to death somebody's going to get up and come down the line, brother, and chop the thing right in two like it ought to be. The handwriting is on the wall. If you can't read it, I'll pity you. If you can't tell what it means, I'll pity you. Oh, yes, sir. I'm not here to please anybody. No one's here giving me my message. I'm not preaching so that you'll say amen. I'm preaching from my heart. I'm not preaching out of the bitterness of my spirit. My heart hurts. I love this message. I love this truth. I left the Catholic Church one time and... I went with the Assemblies of God and I, they, they taught me I had to get by the Holy Ghost and I got it. All my daddy's people, all my daddy's people were Catholic. Granddad was a Mexican Indian. Grandmother come from Spain. That's all we knew was Catholicism. My mother's people are from Oklahoma. God bless her, a little old harbor memory. She was Trinity Pentecost. That's all they had to give me. Well, I took my daddy's religion for a while, and when I met Mama's people, she died when I was four or five, and they taught me uh, that I needed the Holy Ghost, I took it. But one day, somebody gave me a tract on Jesus' name, baptism, and I said goodbye to everybody. I stepped out for Jesus' name. I stepped out for Jesus' name. Ah, yes! We got a group of people around today afraid that you're going to preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost being essential. The handwriting is on the wall. When somebody's scared to death that you're going to make baptism in Jesus' name essential, I said it's essential, not optional. The handwriting is on the wall. I said you need to get baptized in Jesus' name. You'll do it or go to hell. I said you'll do it or go to hell. I'm not interested in your other business about it. I'm talking about what we see today. 
And we've got the only saving message. We've got the only saving message. If I thought I'd make it anywhere else, I'd be someplace else. But this is the only place that's going on. We'll sit out here with factions and bitterness and grudges. You know it's the truth. We'll have a little old enmity and we'll have things that come and divide us and we'll willingly be led along after this faction and that group the handwriting is on the wall.
You know it's the truth. But when we begin to rule out the working of the Spirit of God and say, I don't want it anymore, the handwriting is on the wall. You mark it down. You are told to covet. You are told to desire it. You are told to seek it, but you don't want it. And you couldn't get it unless your heart was right. Why don't you confess it? Why don't you repent before heaven's good God? The reason you don't have it is because you're not living close enough to get it. Our hearts are filled with unbelief. Our churches have nothing but a continual parade of old worldly-like talent. I don't want to hear Bing Crosby type singing. I'm not interested in El Elvis Presley junk. I want the sweet spirit of God to take over. We do not encourage healing as we are. People that don't trust God for healing today are laughed at. When years ago it was a test of fellowship. But when healing is thrown out the door, the handwriting is on the wall. You know it's the truth. But if God's going to ever do anything for somebody, it's going to be for a people that will believe the old-fashioned gospel like it used to be laid down. I want it in the church. I want it in the church. Oh, but you say it's in the church. What church? How? Where? Well, I believe the gifts are in the church. Well, yeah, you do somewhere. Well, I believe they're individuals. I believe they're resident in individuals. And if you'd consecrate, God would use you and keep on using you. That's the way they used to preach it to me. You taught me everything I know, so I'm just reminding you. somebody when he says it goes too far. You'll come out with your old dead possums draped around your neck. You'll come out with all your old ugly, worldly looking ways. And you claim that you're Pentecost. You're a disgrace to Pentecost. Hallelujah. You say, you're not supposed to preach like this at a conference. This is another church service to me. It's the way I operate at home. Don't get clammy, huh? Oh, when his 
knuckle-jarred white from hanging on to the seat, and he's not a tremble under the convicting power of the Holy Ghost. Something's wrong with our church. Oh, but when God's people begin to sing, the old sinner can't stay at that seat. He makes a beeline for that altar, and you don't have to get down and say, glug, 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 brother, he hits the altar on the double and begins to speak in tongues as the Holy Ghost gives him a rest. I'm talking about old-fashioned worship tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love this book. I sat up, brother, until my eyeballs burned studying this message. You hear me? I sit up and, oh, I run around looking for people to talk to. Oh, I run around looking for somebody that was baptized another way. I want to talk about Jesus' name. I want to talk about the oneness of the Godhead. My point tonight is, when we're raising a generation of young folks that haven't got our revelation like we used to have it, the handwriting is on the wall. They're not getting the message clear today. They can't tell you who God is like the old-timers could. They can't explain Jesus' name baptism. They said, go ask my preacher. Go talk to my, uh, my pastor, my Sunday school teacher. But I don't know. You better get this in your heart if you're going to be the church of tomorrow. You better make sure you've got it in your heart or we're through as a people for God. The handwriting is on the wall. Oh, yes, we've got our contests and everything else, and I know that's all part of it all. But when all we've got is a gimmick and a giveaway, and all we've got is a little bit of this, that, and the other, that means we haven't got anything else to give up. We haven't got anything else to satisfy. But, oh, Jesus, send again the old-time power. I want a revival to come to the people of God. I mean, we need an earth-shaking revival. We need a soul-searching revival. We need men and women to bend their old creaky knees again and grab a hold of the horns of the altar and wrestle and prevail and get a grip on God. Amen, until they walk up a-talking a in other tongues. We need to carry them out of our churches feet first. Still drunk. You say, does that happen? Yes, it happens. It happens uh, every other few weeks at our church. We carry them home drunk in $700. Praise the Lord. Speaking in tongues. Drunk the next day. Come back the next day still talking in tongues. You say, what are you doing over there? Getting the Holy Ghost. Getting the Holy Ghost. I haven't done it by myself. But I have called in able evangelists. When the office of an evangelist is despised, when you regard him as the little something that you can get a hold of just because you want to do a little something when you want to do it, and you want him to come and operate your way, the handwriting is on the wall. When a man of God can't get up and preach the gospel like God gave it to him, and you're going to stop his mouth, the handwriting is on the wall. Our salvation depends upon the ministry having an open mouth. And when you begin to shut our mouth, we're through as a people. And the handwriting is on the wall. You let preachers preach. You let them preach, brother, everything God gave them. And that's the only way God can ever save us. Heaven has ordained by the foolishness of preaching that this whole world's going to be saved. If the church is going to be perfected, it is going to be made so, not just by that pastor. He don't know everything. Church is going to be perfected. It is going to be made so, not just by that pastor. He don't know everything. It's going to be, brother, by that evangelist, too, and by that teacher. You need to bring in men to help you do what you're not able to do by yourself. I don't mean to take all the credit or glory, anything else that goes on in my church. 
I'll gladly back up for a good pinch hitter who knows how to hit that thing way out there where it ought to be. And brother, I've got some, I've met some good ones lately. I spent three days, three days in Notre Dame Library. Fourteen stories tall, filled with books. Going to be two million books there. All those little nuns going along and priests and so on. And uh, I run along. I want to find this, that. Pushing elevator buttons. Nobody knew what I wanted, and I couldn't hardly make them understand. I said, I want to see where the Catholic Church started all this jewelry business. I sneaked up on you, didn't I? <laughs> I said, I want to see it all. But I want to tell you something, neighbor. I have got me photostatic copies and volumes of evidence from history to prove to you that all of your jewelry is not of God. It's an abomination to Pentecost. It's an abomination to Pentecost. It should never be among the people of God. You'll sell up, you'll sell up, you'll just say, I don't want to hear that preacher anymore. But I'm writing upon the walls of your heart tonight. You knew all this, but you haven't humbled yourself about it. Now hear me, please. Your wedding band came from Egypt. That's right. It was heathen. That's where they also got the calf worship they set up, you know, at Bethel. And the man lost out with God. You may justify and say, I want people to know I'm married. Live like it. The old sinner don't care whether you've got any band on or not. This old devilish lust for the world, it doesn't matter. He'd rather you had experience anyhow. The Bible tells you you can't wear it. But you're not satisfied with the Bible. The apostle of the Jews says you can't have it. The apostle of the Gentiles says you can't have it. But you'll defile the word of God. You knew all this, but you haven't humbled yourself. You stick up your hands all a flash with jewelry. You stick them on your shoulders. You put them here when you don't need them here. And if Jesus Christ will care, you'll have bobbed hair and wear lipstick, and you'll be wearing ear bobs in 20 years. Don't say it won't happen. When I was in the Assemblies of God, it wasn't the shape it's in now. And I started out preaching around there, and I know. But it's coming that way fast. You listen to me, people. You say, well, my wife won't give it up. You ought to whip her with a red, wet rope if she won't. nothing in my church. Not one thing. Don't need it. Say, well, everybody else is doing it. I don't care what everybody else is doing. You'll be a misfit. I'm proud to be a misfit. Say, it's hard to stand alone. Well, I'll do it if I have to. Say, why? Well, I'm interested in pleasing God. I'll tell you one thing. I'm willing to give up everything that's holding back a move of God. Shame on you that'll just 
hang on to a little old worldly nothing and make an idol and a god out of fashion and a god out of jewelry when you could have the baptism of the Holy Ghost that quick and you could have the anointing of God and the blessings of heaven on every service. But you won't do it. You that have failed to do it. And you that'll go on in your headstrong way and you say, well, I don't want that kind of preaching. I don't want that kind. You know what you're doing? You're defiling the sacred vessels of God. You are to be clean that bear the vessels of God. But no, uh, we, we're not so care careful anymore. Every preacher needs to be a consecrated, a dedicated, separated individual. If you're going to be a child of God, that's the life that you have to live. But I'm not going to be better than the church. They're coming right along with me. And as I walk along, they're going right with me. Oh, let's take a people through. Let's take a people through. You say, you preach that way? Yes, sir. We haven't got a television in our church. Not one. You say, why? They'd go to hell if they had one. If I'd let them keep all that junk and all that rot and all that vomit going into their front room, it'd defile them. It'd damn their soul. And instead of enhancing their consecration, it would pollute them. And instead of having a child of God, I'd have a devil sitting out there in that church that could not get through to heaven. But I'm interested in leading the people through that do not have a spot or a wrinkle on them. I may be censored. You may say, this is not what I want. But I am telling you, you knew all this. But you have not humbled your heart. You knew what to expect when you got in Pentecost. Somebody said, we don't need that type of preaching. We want a more moderate time. We ought to get rid of the radicals. We ought to get rid of you. I could put some in it. But when we've got missionaries struggling on the field and no money to take care of them, the handwriting's on the wall. Half of what comes into Christ Temple Church is given away for the work of God. You hear me? You may not, I do not get plaques for it all. But half of what comes in, I give away to the work of God. Hallelujah. Why do you do it? I don't want God to look at me at that day and say, you didn't love souls. Hallelujah. When we've got missionaries out yonder on the field, struggling without help, when we've got places where no missionaries ever go. They have never heard this message. I'm not talking about a partial message. This is the message. They have never heard it and there's no one to present themselves to our missionary board to go. The handwriting is on the wall. We're through. We're through as a group. Huh? Why, oh, it's certainly the truth. This is a selfish age. You'll sit there in your church and make your two, three, and four hundred dollars a week and pay your evangelist fifty. You wonder why evangelists are hard to get when you've starved them off the fields. You listen to an old evangelist talk right now. I never told you this when I was just an evangelist, but I'm a pastor now. 
You starved them off the field. You've let them go hungry. They did your dirty work, and you didn't pay them. Some of you took up offerings in their name and kept the money. When we've got that kind of dirty work going on, the handwriting is on the wall. You just don't get a real God-called evangelist, and you're hearing one tonight. I don't mind telling you, God called me to be an evangelist. I've had a lot of my best friends say, settle down, preacher. I couldn't settle down. You say you drugged that dear old woman of yours from pillar to post all over the United States. I knew I did, but I had that restless something in my soul. I couldn't. I preached you 160 revivals uh, and wore my body out. Uh, and God bless that dear sweet woman in my life. Uh, she's dressed like a Holy Ghost saint of God ought to dress. We've been an inspiration and an example to your assembly. You tell me if I haven't. I've only been run out of one church, and that's because I preach holiness. some local church there and you've got a man that's trying to do something for God, you better take your hands off of him. Say, so how did you raise your money this year? Well, we had other projects going. I don't need to tell you all that. I had other projects going all the time. We've already raised almost $13,000 for other projects this year. We're going on in our church. And uh, we couldn't put it all in seeds for Christ. You say, how do you do it? Because you get the old stingy board members that take their hands off a preacher that wants to do something for God. We need to do something for the Lord. You need to work with a man that's got a vision. You need to ask God to send you somebody that loves souls. You listen to what this preacher's telling you. If you find a church that's not honest and a church that's not right, God will send you a devil on wheels and lead you into false doctrine. But if you love God and you want to do right, he'll send you a pastor after his own heart. I believe what I'm talking about. No, I believe every word I'm saying because I know what it's going to take to meet Jesus when he comes again. And I'm asking, please, you work with good Holy Ghost men. I haven't got much time left, nor do you. And every time I think about what's going on, I say, oh, Jesus, don't come. Don't come. I haven't got enough done. Don't please don't come. I haven't got enough done yet. I've run down too many wrong roads. I've run down blind alleys. Honest to hell, folks, I've been sincere about it. And I've tried to go on and on, but it seems I've accomplished so little. Please let me do something for you, Lord. Let me throw my life into the work of God. I'm not interested in making a big splash, but I want to do something for God. Coming, he's coming. Just like I say... man one time back in the old days had a farm oh Shema he had a farm and he lived a long ways from town as the old old country used to be like and he had him a little old wagon and a couple horses he said now funny boy me and mom we're going into the city and we're going to get some sacks of flour and we'll get some grain and uh, we'll get a 
We'll get some bacon, Joel, and, and uh, we'll, we'll get some more stuff, and we're coming back. But I'm, I'm going to set a big old candle right up here. And as we go to the city, little old town there, he said, I want you to wash the dishes, and I want you to make the bed. And would you mow the lawn? I want you to milk the cows. I want you to feed the stock. And uh, when that's all done, honey boy, you can romp and play and swing, and you can have the time of your life. This candle will burn for eight hours. I light it now. But when I come back, I want that work done because when I return, the candle will just be a going out. A little old boy, he played around. He looked at the candle and he watched it burn. And, uh, oh, he said, that's such a slow-burning thing. He said, eight hours. Uh, might burn long in there. Well, he played and the neighbor boy come over and he played with him. And, uh, they... He said, let's go fishing. And they dug him up some worms, put him in a little old bag and took him on down. And they got him out way out there. And uh, they got the little old pole and put the little old hook to it. And they looked for the white perch. And oh, say, they, they had a time. They got the little old bare feet all dusty and dry. And they just uh, dangled them in the little old cool water as it uh, softly flowed by. And they laughed and talked about what happened at school and the funny little things that uh, they heard the other day. Just boys, they finally laid back and they looked at the fleecy clouds as they sailed on by. Oh, and then they played a little tag and they went to yonder swing and they got in that and they played some more. Oh, say, they had them up, they had them ball. They got way up there in the haystack and they jumped down on, on the soft hay below and they ran around and they found some melons and they busted them open and they got out a heart. And here's one for you, Jim. And oh, I'll take this one here. And oh, they just ate until the little bellies were full. And oh, say, they come on back and as the shadows began to get long and suddenly the little old boy at the house, he said, I got my chores to do. I better hurry now. And he runs and he grabs the lawnmower and he pushes it this way as quick as he could. And uh, he suddenly, he suddenly sees, he, he runs in there and the candle's going down. It's going down faster, it seems now, than it did before. He drops the, uh, that and he runs over here and uh, he says, uh, uh, I better milk the cows. And, and he, he, he gets a hold of the cows and he starts uh, putting it in the pail. But, oh, no, I won't have time. And he, he gets a stock of uh, little food here, but I'm not going to have time. He's trying to sweep the, uh, the house out and milk the beds and he's trying to heat the water for the dishes. But suddenly around the bend comes the roll of a wagon wheel. Dad came back and found a boy that was mighty disobedient. His work was not done. And time had run out. God gives to everything a time. We as a church are here for just a time. You have heard a lot, but let me write upon the walls of your heart. You knew all this, but you haven't humbled yourself. Our time is just about done. And I feel that if we don't get our job done for God, it's going to be through. They're closing the doors to our missionaries now. It's getting harder and harder in some towns to even erect churches like we want to erect. It's getting harder for our kids to take the kind of a stand and be excused in gym like they ought to. And listen to me, it's getting harder on the radio to stay on if you preach a good, clear-sounding message. And friend of mine, our time is running out. We're living in a gleaning period right now, and whatever you get, you better get quickly. Jesus Christ is going to come, and your work's not half done. You've made a stab at this and a pass at that. But there will come a time when we will have to tell God all about it. And I appeal to you tonight, in the name of heaven's God, 
when we are so light and careless and frivolous. It's my God this and good God that. We do not even regard the name of God as sanctified and holy as we ought. We claim to be the people of God, but we have defiled the temples of God. We have abused the name of God. We have become careless in all the things of God. We have become a professional in, in all the ways of our ability. But oh, there is coming a time when God's going to write our finish upon the wall. Every denomination that has ever uh, played with truth has had Ichabod written upon the doors of their churches. And they have gone on in their deluded way thinking all was well. But I appeal to you if you have an ear to hear. If you have a soft in your heart tonight. Let the Holy Spirit of God touch it. On my knees, I beg you in the name of God, turn back to God. Turn and live holy again. Uh, uh, cut yourself and trim yourself from the things of this world and get God back in your life. Uh, get hold of this back in your heart. Uh, uh, get a move of God in your churches again. Uh, uh, fight for the truth. Uh, one of these days we'll all be uh, have our backs to the wall. You say, I want prestige in this world. The world's not going to look at us as some great, big, respectable organization. I'll tell you what they think of Pentecost. They think we're a gang of nuts. Uh, you might as well just stand flat for the gospel and preach them, uh, the goods like it is. You say, I'm, I'm fishing for the big fish. I'm fishing for souls. I'm casting in the net. Oh, God, give us anything that you want. Uh, whatever the world don't want, send them to us. Uh, old crooked gopher wood, we'll straighten them out. Uh, let us make a church out of it. Uh, let us make a people of God out of it. Uh, we've, uh, we've had too much of this high-toned stuff. Uh, let's return to the old-fashioned ways again. I ask you, as a minister, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. If this has been the ranting of a man out of his mind, you have nothing to fear. But if I am God's man, heaven knows my heart, and the Holy Ghost knows my life. I bring to you a life that I'm not ashamed of. And I bring to you a message the apostles endorse. And if what I said is true, and you don't humble yourself, I'll meet you at the judgment. I want you to stand and ask God at this time to let you read the handwriting on the wall.